Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. I want to forego the introduction and just get straight into the word today. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about this. All I want for Christmas is love today by coming out of what is probably the most oft-quoted scripture in all of your, or text in all of your scripture. And that is John 3.16. Do me a favor. For those of you that are visiting, I appreciate you coming. But there's something that I say pretty regularly to the ones that are here. And I want everyone to hear it again. Do not let familiarity breed complacency in you. The, the truth that we're about to expound today is the only truth. And it's a magnificent truth. And it's the truth by which all other truths stand. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Can I tell you that this is the pinnacle of Scripture? Because from front to back, the Bible only claims one thing. What is it? Jesus. That God sent His Son so that we might have eternal life. To anybody, that God sent His Son to save anyone willing to submit to Him so that we might have eternal life. So that even though we fail at the beginning of the book, there's a promise of restoration at the end of the book. That the Bible tells us that God is creating the end from the beginning. Which means that what it looked like at the beginning, when everything was perfect, when we walked, when Adam walked in the garden with God, God's doing everything and has done everything to ensure that our end looks like that beginning. And that truth is so eloquently demonstrated in John 3.16. This is the meaning of Christmas. That God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He came here as a gift to you. He sacrificed Himself as a gift for you. Not because He, he kind of liked you, or He thought maybe if He spent a little more time with you, you might get along, but because He loved you in a way that you've never been loved before. And He loved you in that way prior to you even being born. He loved you in that way prior to the foundations of the earth. So you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to give you a gospel message. We could fancy up the word, but why? I quote 1 Corinthians 2.2. I come to you with Christ and Him crucified. Not with big words. I'm not trying to do anything fancy here. I want you to know, I want every person in this room to know, in a way like you've never considered, potentially, that Jesus loves you. And that God loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the only truth worth declaring. Anything else is a waste of time. Can I tell you, I didn't always think that. Let me be transparent with you. When we first started the church, man, I just got done with my master's program. I got a master's in divinity, thought I was super smart, right? Like I knew a bunch of big words and whatnot. 
And so I, I preached a lot of times from my intellect, not my spirit. And you know what I found out? That was dry. It wasn't life changing. The only person in the room made that the only person in the room made to feel good about that was me. And ultimately I don't know that God was glorified in it. Since then I've learned one truth. The gospel. The Bible has every lesson should start and end with one message. That Jesus loves you enough that he that God loved you enough that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the greatest gift you've ever received. This is the reason for Christmas. This is the reason why the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is literally the Christmas message. And so I want to talk to you about that. I'm going to do that today out of John, like I said, 3.16. But I'm going to, I'm going to start in verse 14. So if you'll read along with me, or read silently along with me, because I'm Polish and I get confused when people talk when I'm talking. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Can I tell you, verse 17 truth is just as significant as verse 16 truth? We don't spend enough time in verse 17, but we're going to spend a little time there today. And i got three points I want to make to you in regards to the love that God showed you. First, first point, if you're taking notes, is we all have a need for God's love. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much influence you have, how strong or how weak you are. You have a need for the love of God. Verse 14 and 15 start like this. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. This seems like a strange thing. But let's talk about the context of the verse. So as you know, or maybe you don't know, Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, a teacher of the people. And He was explaining to him, He said, listen, you can do all the stuff, but ultimately you need to be born again. Because your stuff ain't going to matter. What you do on your own isn't going to matter. You need to have a relationship with God. And let me explain to you, out of something you do know, what that looks like. And so he opens up or goes to a story that Nicodemus would have been familiar with, which is out of Numbers, which he's referencing here. And he begins to tell this story. He said, just like this serpent. What serpent? I'm going to read to you out of Numbers chapter 21. Then they set out from Mount Hor from the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in a wilderness? Can I tell you, anytime you question the goodness of God, you're sinning. Anytime you speak against God, you're sinning. God didn't drag you out into anything to leave you there. 
I told the Wednesday crowd, listen, you're probably in a wilderness because there's a river waiting for you. The size of your desert determines the size of your ocean or the size of your river. Sometimes you've got to suffer through to get through. And then once you get through, that's where the blessing is. But you have to be faithful in the desert first. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in a wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe the miser this miserable food. So they're saying, not only are we speaking against you, but the stuff that you've given us, that's not even good enough. That's dangerous ground. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. I'm sorry, verse 6. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, set it on a pole. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. This seems like a crazy weird thing that Jesus would say to Nicodemus. You're talking about eternal life, and then you immediately start talking about this historical event that happened in the desert for the Hebrews? It doesn't even make sense. Why would you bring this story up right now? Because he needed them to understand that all of us have been bitten by the sting of death and sin. And because we've been bitten by the sting of death and sin, because of our sin, we need a Savior. The Savior, the shadow of the Savior that is Jesus Christ right now was represented by the serpent on a standard. But it was just a shadow to show that there would be a time when something else would be lifted up. So that when you looked at that, the sting that you deserve, the death that you deserve won't be yours but you'll have life instead. And Jesus is that shadow of the serpent on the standard. All of us have spoken against God, against God's provision about what He's done for us or what He hasn't done for us. But let me tell you, God put breath in your lungs. He put skin over your nerves so you don't hurt. He gave you the ability to see. He gave you a family. He gave you a church home. There's nothing we should be griping about God or to God's people about. Because God loves us, He's removed the sting from us. The sting of death. All of us. Everybody say, all of us. All of us, us deserve death, but we didn't get it. Instead, Jesus was raised up so that anyone willing to look upon Him might have eternal life. Which means that we have to rely on God. Because we can't do it ourselves. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, which is a demonstration of mercy and compassion. Because God loves you, because He had mercy on you, because His mercy drove compassion, and because, his, because of His compassion, He decided to give you grace, something you didn't deserve. If you'll just declare in faith that that's true, you have the promise of eternal life. You can forego that sting that is the sin of death. Not by your own works, but a gift from God, which means you had nothing to do with it. This wasn't your work to perform. You know the only thing that you have to do? Submit to the Word of God and acknowledge the truth of it. 
that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. All of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means all of us need a Savior. Christmas is about God sending that Savior to demonstrate a love we can't comprehend to us so that we might submit to that love. Because we don't deserve it. I'm going to read you a text out of Romans chapter 3 to show and demonstrate to you how much you don't deserve what God died to give you. Us. I shouldn't say you. I should say us, right? Verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For if we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. There was two kinds of people in the Old Testament. There were people that belonged to God and people that didn't belong to God. Jews and Greeks. Jews and Gentiles. I tell you, there's still those kind of people. Those that have been given the Spirit and live, by, live, live life or those that haven't and live a life of sin which is death. But then in the Old Testament, there was two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. Still, two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles. There is none righteous, not even one. How many? None. none. I, know, I want some group participation today because I think sometimes if we can repeat it, we stick, it sticks with us. There is none who understands. How many? None. There is none who seeks for God. How many? None. All have turned aside. How many? All. Together they have become useless. What are we? That means incapable. Because of our sin, because none of us seek after God, because none of us seek for understanding, because none of us are righteous, because according to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve the penalty of death. Can I just get basic with you? Christ in Him crucified. That's all I got for you today, because that's the message that is Christmas. Not even one. No one does good, not even one, but God. Amen? But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That's so good. So that according to Romans 10, 13, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of Jesus, will be saved. And so we're all in need of a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Number two, God's love is proven in Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to break this text down, this particular verse, into four segments because I need us to really, I want to soak in the, the massiveness of the truth that is John 3.16. And, and, and discover really what God's love is according to this text. The first thing, the first sub-point, if you will, to this text is God's love is immeasurable. Did you catch that? God's love is immeasurable. I want to read you a hymn or a portion of a hymn that uh, I read some years ago. And when I read it, I was just overwhelmed because I realized the truth in it. And I want you to realize the truth in it. That God's love can't be measured. Because God is perfect and He is infinite, which means there is no boundary to Him, right? And everything that He is must also be infinite, which means there's no boundary to it. And the Bible says that God is love, which means His love is infinite, which means there's no boundary to it. 
And you know what's awesome? That love's pointed at you. You're all, man, I don't deserve that. You're right. That's why it's called grace. That's why we should be people of worship. That's why we should be people of praise. That's why we sacrifice our time, our treasure, our talent. Because that which we didn't deserve, God gave to us anyway. And we don't do those things to pay it back because we can't pay it back. We do those things as acts of worship. And so I want to read you this hymn. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll maintain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Did you catch that? Isn't that beautiful? Should I read it again? Let me read it again. But I'm going to slow it down a little bit. I'm going to break it down for you. Could we, with the ink, with ink the oceans fill? If all the oceans, the water was removed from them, and ink put in their place, and were the skies of parchment made, if from from east to west, north to south, covered in paper. Where every stalk on earth a quill, was every blade of grass, every piece of straw, a pen. And every man ascribed by trade, if all of us were writers by trade, eloquently able to articulate the awesomeness of who God is, we would drain the ocean dry. And the whole sky wouldn't be able to contain the wholeness of how awesome and how magnificent and how immeasurable the love of God is. Man, that's so good, isn't it? And I, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true because God is infinite. And according to the word, God is what? Love. And if He is love, and if He is infinite, not bound by time, space, or anything else, then the love that He has for you must be infinite, which means you can't measure it. But let me, do, let me challenge you. Try. Try to, try to figure it out. This is what it means to meditate on the Word of God. If, if it's immeasurable, and it is, I challenge you, during this Christmas season, stop. Find a place away from all the static, all the noise, the schedule, the Christmas parties, the present wrapping. Lock yourself in your room and go, God... Did you show me a piece of your love I haven't seen before? Can you demonstrate how you love me in a way I haven't pondered before? This is, this is how we search after God. We meditate on Him and figure out who He is as He reveals that to us. It's the reason why I pray most often, more often than not, at the beginning of service, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. Because in our meditation time, there's always... Something greater to know. If he's immeasurable, that means none of us can measure it. It means none of us can know, ultimately, all that he is. I think it's incredible that the angels fly around God's throne, and then they fall on their face and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I can't prove this in Scripture, but I have an idea as to why I think that is. You know what I think, the idea, you know what I think that is? I think that's because as they fly around the throne, even though they've been doing it for eternity past, Every time they fly around the throne of God, they see something that they didn't see before. And they fall on their face before God and say, Whoa, wow, that's so good, God. You are holy, holy, holy. We should be people that mimic that behavior. 
Amen? God's love is immeasurable. Number two, or it's, well, it's actually subset two. We're still on verse 316. I'm sorry. God's love is sacrificial. Not only is it immeasurable, according to the word, in that God so loved the world, but it is sacrificial in that he gave his only begotten son. I've said it over and over and over again. I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face. I, there's a couple things I, I really hope that I, that, I, that I say till the day that I die or leave here, which I'm hoping kind of happen at the same time. And that's love provokes action. Did you hear me? Love provokes action. And God's immeasurable love was so incredible that his action was to give us something we didn't deserve. The greatest gift that he could give us, which is Christ Jesus. He has an incredible, sacrificial love for you. I want to talk about this for just a moment. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent His Son to be the atonement for us. He sent His Son to take our debt from us. What we owed, which was death. He took our place. I don't know how else to say it. I've probably come up with several other ways. But ultimately, the cross that Jesus died on, you deserved. The sin that Jesus took was yours. Also, that you could be righteous before God because you carry the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Also, that you might be justified, which means no longer guilty, but not just no longer guilty, but be so guilt-free it's like you've never been charged in the first place. And finally, that you've been worthy to stand in the presence of the holy. Jesus did this because his love is sacrificial. I can, I can remember asking my papa when I was a young man. I was 15 years old and we were at the Walmart. Back when the Walmart was over here next to the, uh, the Goodwill. And, and I remember stepping off the curb. We were talking about something about a granny. And I remember stepping off the curb and I, I just looked at papa and I said, Papa, tell me, how will I know when I'm truly in love. And he stopped. And he turned around and looked at me. And he said, when you're willing to give up everything that you are, including your own life for someone else, you love them. And not a minute before. This is the love that God has for us. But it's so much more than that because it's immeasurable. Our love, as much as I love my wife and would lay my life down for her, isn't perfect. And I'm sure somewhere, somebody could measure it. But God's love for us is immeasurable. He sacrificed himself. He paid our debt. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the great gift, his own sacrifice, the immeasurable gift that Pastor Rick talked about in the first, uh, the first lesson in this series, that God gave us an immeasurable gift. And that immeasurable gift is Christ Jesus hanging himself on a cross, taking the beating that you deserve, absorbing the wrath of God that you deserve, 
being separated from God were you the one that were when you were the one that deserved separation. And I can't think of a, a more if I say more better. I can't think of a more better gift for Christmas than that. God's love is obtainable. Verse 16c says that whoever believes in Him. Isn't that interesting? So many of us think, man, if I'm going to be standing rightly before God, I've got to get this checklist of 20 things done. And then I can come before God. Let me tell you, not to be cliche, but you don't go to a hospital after you're well. You go to a hospital when you're sick. Put your checklist away. You don't have to obtain 20 different things or do 20 different things for God to show His love to you. He showed His love to you in that He died for you, that Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner. Which means that you hadn't done anything. You didn't even know there was a list. Much less started checking any of them off. This is how easy God made it for us. He made it obtainable. The Bible says there's only one thing required of us. And that is declaration and belief. Romans 10, 9. Declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And what's the Bible say after that? And you shall be saved. That's so good. It's obtainable. It's not something you've got to struggle your whole life to achieve. It's something you have to humble yourself to achieve. Now, let me tell you, there's not a list for salvation. But there is a requirement of obedience if you're going to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. A lot of people walk around and say, Jesus Christ is my Savior and live like hell. Let me tell you, He's not your Savior because He wasn't your Lord. He has to be your Lord first before He can be your Savior. And I know that's uncomfortable, but that, that's the truth of it. Obedience is the number one indicator of whether or not you belong to God. If you don't believe that, I want you to go to John chapter 16 and read it. Over and over and over again, you'll know that you belong to Him when you're obedient. Those that are obedient, God shows His love to and reveals Himself to. Obedience is significant. It's hugely significant. It doesn't save you. Don't get me messed up. What it does is it proves that you're saved. As Pastor Eric said one time, and I've shared this quote with you guys before, that you, the reason why we work and the reason it proves that God lives in us, in layman's terms, is because you can't put something as big as God in something as small as you and God not leak out somewhere. And God's going to leak out in service and obedience. But He made it obtainable that if we just make this declaration and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we have a promise. You know what that promise is? That we shall be saved. And I think that's awesome. Because it's not a struggle for us. We don't have to walk 10 miles on our knees while beating ourselves with a whip on the back. Jesus did that already. Not only is it obtainable, 
It promises eternity. God's love promises eternity. 16D, shall not perish but have eternal life. If you do what this scripture says, if you believe the truth that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, you are promised because of the love that eternal life. Have you noticed? How many of you guys were here last week? Did you notice that this sermon is very similar to last week's sermon? You know why? Because Jesus is the same Jesus we talked about last week. The, the bullet points last week were Jesus brought hope when He came and was born on earth. Jesus brings hope in the promise that is our salvation and that He will bring hope in our eternity. I can tell you, I can just take hope out of those and put love, and the same thing would be true. Jesus brought love. Jesus brings love. Jesus will bring love. Because it's in His nature to love. And in His love, we have a promise. And that promise is that we will see eternal life. 1 John 2.25 says, this is the promise which He Himself made to us, eternal life. John 6, 40. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone beholding the Son and believing in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. I want you to look at your Bible when you go to this text next time. It's all caps here. But when it says, and I will raise Him up the last day, that's not a capital H. That's a lowercase h. You know what that means? It means that's a promise for you. That means, so whoever, everyone beholding the Son, everyone who recognizes and acknowledges the Son and then believes in Him will be raised up on the last day. Man, I think that's so good. Because let me tell you the truth. There's one primary reason why God sent Jesus. Take out all the fluff. There's one reason Jesus came to earth. Because God loves you so much that He wants to spend eternity with you. I got people I don't want to spend 30 minutes with. But God loves you. He wants to spend 10 million years with you. Boy, if that's not immeasurable, I don't know what is. It's probably even sacrificial. But it's the truth of the Word of God. This is the story of Christmas. That the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. For no other reason than you're loved. Amen?